0: We've been looking at Ecclesiastes, the, the, the I guess the bulletin title is Under the Sun. The concept being, as we go through the life that we're living, and we think about the, the timeline that we're living in, and how to make sense of it all, there is a book of the Bible that gives wisdom for us to think about what, what really matters. And we look at Ecclesiastes with this theme of, here's what you're going to view in life, just in the natural ecosystem under the sun that you're living in. So the whole book is written with a view on a man's journey through life, all of his ups and downs and gains and losses. And he says, if it's only under the sun, here's what I share with you. And Ecclesiastes 5, one of the questions that we're asking week by week is, what really matters? You guys all answer that question with the way you spend your time and the people that you call and the things that you do with your free time and the money that you spend, you're answering with whether you know it or not, this is what I think matters. And last week we started Ecclesiastes chapter five, the view of this chapter to say, what really matters when it comes to how we worship God? And time and time again, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to say, if it looks like this, if it's only under the sun, if there's no real honoring of God with your religion or your pursuit of God, It is vanity or meaninglessness. And so we got through half the chapter, and we came to this break point. In fact, in in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 6, he says, Don't make excuses as to why you don't serve God, lest the work of your hands be destroyed in his anger. And I was like, okay, have a great week, everyone. And we left it at that. What is that getting at? What does it mean, lest the work of your hands be utterly destroyed by the anger of God? Well, and I think we can use even what we just did with this testimony of life after death. It's like there's a man who now has a new view of how precious his life under the sun is. And you all have moments that God will use in your life to bring you to a place where you say, Oh my goodness, God, I was living life under the sun apart from you, but now I know that real meaningful relationships under the sun have to do with you. And that's where we left off, making a vow to God. You come here, you listen to the word preached, you think about the circumstance of your life, and you say, like this young man, I just want to live for God now. And then what happens? The verse we just read says, sometimes you make a vow and then your flesh makes an excuse. God, I just want to live with you, new lease on life, new lease on my marriage, new lease on the purpose of what I'm doing. I still have a window of time that I can be used by God. And then something happens where you're like, but I'm not going to do it right now. That's where we left off. And now Solomon is going to use that cliffhanger that the work of your hands could be destroyed to have a conversation about one of the most popular ways that you will make an excuse as to why you wouldn't fulfill your vow to God while you wouldn't live your life aiming for the perfect uh, center of his will, knowing that anything else is meaninglessness. And so then he segues to say, as my Bible will call the the remainder of chapter 5 and into verse 6, the vanity of gain and honor. And isn't that how it goes so often? Brought to your knees, make a vow before God, and then you, with your new lease on life, you're like, well, can I just rebuild a little bit of my life in, on, this side of, on, on this side of heaven, under the sun. Can, why don't I just take just a minute to, to build up my resources, to expand my portfolio. I'll get back to my vow once I've set up my kingdom. Anybody felt that way? Some of you, as you go through the tightening belt of our country right now, you're, you might be thinking, "Okay, I I, I got to save up because the future looks bleak." Doesn't doesn't? I'm not saying you're wrong. Some of you are thinking right now, "What I really need more than anything in my life is just a little bit more in my savings, a little bit more in my fund to start a business." a little bit more in my ability to, uh, to gain a net worth so that I can do the things that I'm really after. And so often, the excuse is attached to a dollar sign. And so now we're going to have that conversation reminding you of the man who writes this, because I believe experience is the best teacher. And some of you are like, I don't know my relationship with wealth, honor, and gain yet, because I've never tasted it. And so it's worth pointing out, again, that Solomon is someone, as we've said, week by week, he's got his leather journal out, and he's got his pipe that's just contemplating life. Last week, he stood outside of the gates of the temple, and last week, he looked as people were rushing into church, and he says, what is this really about? This week, he's got his journal, and he's got his pipe for thinking, and now he's sitting outside of the palace. And he's watching those who have gained their wealth and all of the things that they're doing with their life. And he's thinking about his own life. Let's put it into that context so that we read all of this not as a potential thing that might happen as you gain wealth. But as a warning for anyone who tries to grasp at honor and gain under the sun without God as though that will satisfy us. And we read Solomon this morning He says, I tried it all. Here's what will happen. Some of you relate to this and say, you're right. I have experienced wealth, and this is what happens as your wealth grows. Some of you will have to listen to this by faith and say, Okay, Lord, prevent me from being tempted into the excuse of living for you with the temptation that I need to find honor and gain before that happens. And it starts in verse 8. He says, If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, the high officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. He starts by saying, okay, there's oppression, injustice, and profit of the land, and there's really a ladder that everybody fits in on. You know, you look out and you see, well, the poor people are being taken advantage of. There's someone over them that's taking advantage of them. You think, well, just solve that. There's someone over them that's taking advantage of the person over the poor person. And the ladder goes up and up and up until you see the sovereignty of God over all of it, which means this message is for everyone. All of you are rich compared to the majority of the world. And all of you could use the excuse, but yeah, but there's somebody over me that's really, really the problem. The message is specifically for our window of time, we relate to Solomon more than we think. We relate to our ability to gain wealth, honor, and gain. You were born in a time of great economic privilege. Every single one of you could answer to the vow you could make to God with an excuse that you're going to go out and crush the American dream. Every one of you could do it. And some of you are going to be called to gain things for God's glory, and that's okay. What we're going to walk through today is that None of us should go into a desire to gain honor and wealth and not realize that itself is full of all sorts of ways you can get it wrong. As as sure as it was last week that you can walk into a church, you can sit in the sanctuary, you can sing the songs and open the word and leave and you can waste your time doing it. You can waste your time pursuing the dreams of your heart under the sun, apart from God. And so now he's going to make a case for that. In his experience and some of your experiences, you can nod along and say, this is what happens, that most people, hoping they win the lottery so that all their problems will be solved, aren't always thinking through when they're after wealth apart from the will of God. Verse 10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. So lesson number one, Uh, the lottery will not satisfy you. Getting a a bigger payroll or getting a bigger spending power is going to actually show you how much you like having a little more money. The more silver you get, the more you like to get silver. The more money you get, the more you like to get money. And it's never going to be that you find something under the sun that you fall in love with, and then your collection's complete. And that's just true of any way that you want to fill in the blank for what your silver or your pursuit of honor and gain looks like. For me, as a 10-year-old, it was collecting baseball cards. I remember the first time I got a sheet of them, and I had a book of them, and I'm like, this is amazing. I have a complete set. All I want for my birthday is more baseball cards. It's like I just want more of that because it felt so good to have them. And that's true of whatever way you fill in the blank of Once you love something, you will not be satisfied by something. Some of you love shoes, and you need more of them. You don't have enough. Some of you love clothes. Some of you love cars. Some of you love when your team wins a championship ring. Some of you love when you get more and more things for you to play with in the water or on the land. And what happens? You get the thing, and you realize, I really like having these things. You know what would be awesome? To have another one. That's just what happens. I heard one commentator say, every person over the thing that you love should write the verse from John chapter 14 when Jesus is interacting with the woman in the well and he says, that drink will never satisfy your thirst. There is a drink that this world will offer you in the cup of a shoebox or in the cup of some car keys or another portfolio house that you get to have and it should all say, will not satisfy. Every single one of them. That's why the reminder as we sprinkle our gospel on our way through this journey is that Jesus is coming on the scene to offer people who want things that won't satisfy them something that will in the drink that he has to offer for the quench or the thirst of our soul. He who loves abundance with its increase. You get more, and what happens? It's nice to get more, so you want more. And verse 11, when good, goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? So those of you who have seen your goods increase, let's just nod along and say that is kind of how it works. The more your payroll grows, the more that you have people to pay. I, I think of one just tiny bit of financial advice that you could give to this someday lottery winner. For those of you who play the lottery, lottery Let's talk after service. Your odds are extremely unlikely that you're going to win. Maybe just use that money elsewhere. But if you ever do win, the first bit of advice is this. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's like they try to give you a jumbo check and put you on TV, and the wisest lottery winners among us, you'll never know who they are. Because the first advice is, unless you want to meet every distant cousin who's ever taken a 23 me, just keep it anonymous. Because as soon as you make money, people are like, Oh, by the way, I've always wanted to take you to coffee and tell you about this car wash I've wanted to start for years. You see that with the young athletes that are coming into a giant paycheck with the skill that they have, and what happens? An entourage forms around them. Some on the entourage have shoe deals. Some of them have management. Some of them have accounting ideas. As your wealth increases, so do those who want to enjoy your wealth with you. And these are two examples now you won't be satisfied by wealth. And it's almost God's sovereignty that as you grow, so do the people that surround you. So it's never as easy as you think. And that's one of the lessons that we're supposed to take from this. Lest we think back and and say, okay, I just want a little bit more. I want that neighborhood's life. I want this person's life. It's more complicated than you ever think. It's never as easy as saying, if I had this, then I'd be satisfied. And he gives now, a third example of those of you who have wealth can, can say, yes, this is true. Solomon speaks truth. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet. When he eats little or much, the abundance of, but, the, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. So there, there's, there's the, the, the laborer, the guy that's working in the field, the guy that's on the bottom of the, the ladder of oppression whether he has a lot to eat or a little, when you live a simple and peaceable life, you work hard and you sleep hard. That's just commonplace. For those of you who have had those long, intensive jobs, your head hits the pillow and you're like, I got to sleep. And then the alarm goes off and you're like, wow, I got to wake up. So it's like God gives you forced discipline for good rest. And what happens to those who have carved out a little space, upper management, not as you know, not as grueling on the body. You're not under the sun as much now. You're in the AC. One way to read this is like, you almost have too much rest on your hands and now you can't sleep. It's like, wow, i I, I, I kind of my own boss now. I don't have to wake up. And I, I, my body isn't that tired because I've kind of enjoyed the good life now. And so I'm a little bit restless and welcome to the world we live in. One of the things that we'll see as we read Ecclesiastes is that our culture can relate to Solomon more than we realize. How many people have read just good advice for young people or people who are like, man, why am I, I just want to you know, have a healthy body. And one of the best advice you can get is, are you sleeping eight hours a day? Isn't it funny that the more time we've carved out for ourselves with our wealth and with our gain, the less we're actually resting and sleeping. And that's true of our culture because it's a luxury that we have that our bodies aren't worn out and we don't have to wake up with the sunrise. Now, another way to read this, which is also true of gaining wealth and honor, is now you have more responsibilities. So it's not just that you're, you know, you're not really tired enough to sleep, but it's also like uh, when you own the estate you're the guy that everybody calls, and you're the one responsible for the details that the ladder of oppression points to you, the king, and so there's just more on your plate. Again, not a bad thing. Some of you do that really well. What this is saying is it's not as easy as you think to live the good life based on grasping at honor and wealth. And now verse 13, we'll see in this verse a warning that he gives anyone who is tempted to exchange the vow for something else in the form of honor and gain, and he's going to call it a severe evil in verse 13. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun. When you live under the sun and you work really hard and you have, by God's grace, enough uh, enough power to expand the little kingdom you're running, riches kept for their owner to his hurt is an evil you are experience. Now, we hear the word evil, often rightfully think of it as just the opposite of righteousness in like a violent and harmful way, like evil act. There's also a way to think of it as just a severe tragedy or a serious, serious, sad moment in someone's life. And how much can we relate to the reality that there is such a thing as taking in more than you need to your own hurt? It's true of your wealth. It's true of the wealth that provides us with an abundance of food. And we live in a culture that maybe in all time has never had a bigger struggle on the opposite end of the struggle with food. Most cultures are like checking the cans of food and being like, this one has the most calories, let's buy it, because we need every calorie you can get to work under the sun. Our culture is like, how can we shave all the calories because we have so much abundance, we now have food to our hurt. And it's certainly true if we're not careful about the way we chase after the American dream of honor, gain, and wealth. You can have something that is such a blessing to your life, it can be to your hurt. I mean, how many times do you need to see the arc of the celebrity pop star life that got it all and ended in tragedy? There was a show on when I was a kid called Behind the Music by VH1. Remember that show where it showed you all the bands who made it? And from the outsider's point of view, you look at them on stage and you see their giant cars and their, or giant houses, beautiful cars, beautiful women everywhere. And then Behind the Music, what you don't see in their private journal is that they had so much wealth that it actually destroyed their soul. And it turned into them having so much money that now they can afford more, uh, they can afford more drugs than they know how to get around. Now they can afford more parties. Now they can uh, find themselves in relationships with other people who have too much wealth. And how many times have we seen the, the, the trajectory of stardom turn into the just tragedy of broken marriages and broken father and son relationships? And then you get the mess of the lawyers involved because wherever there's a will, there's a relative, and they're just fighting over everything, right? You have so much that it crushes your life. And yet, after all of that, no matter how many times we go through the checkout line in the grocery store and we see another headline of the couples crying and breaking up and having more wealth than their soul knew what to do with, we can still sit back. Nothing new under the sun. From Solomon to 2022, we can still sit back and say, what I really need is a little bit more wealth, honor, and gain under the sun. On this side of heaven, I am not ready to exchange my reputation for the reputation of the carpenter who came to serve others. I just want to make sure I won't go so far as to let it ruin my marriage and break the relationship I have with my kids and put me into rehab. I know my limits. I just need a little more. He's like, this is a great tragedy. There is a possibility for you to have so much that will crush your soul. And then he says in verse 14, but those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing to his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from him which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe tragedy. And now remember, Solomon is writing this journaling with just life under the sun. Think about how unfair it would be from Solomon's view to work so hard and to gain so much and to have wealth that begins to eat you from the inside out and then all of a sudden misfortune comes and it's gone. And then he realized that misfortune isn't an if, it's a when. It will happen. Jesus says you store up treasure for yourself and you're going to have rust and moth and thieves. They're going to come. Misfortune comes, and it grows, and it goes, and the final misfortune that will come for every one of our portfolios is, in fact, death. So he says, you know, misfortune comes, and all this stuff that I worked so hard to get is eventually going to be gone, and I'm going to go back and to meet my maker with the exact same thing that I came with, which is nothing. And I can make a I can make an absolute prediction over every one of your lives right now. You came with nothing. Everyone enters the world with nothing. And I promise you, awaiting your soul is a delivery from this earth under the sun into the final resting place where you get to meet Christ face to face, and you will bring nothing that you got with you. As the old adage goes, there is never a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. If there was, you would be like, well, you're wasting your time. You're burying your treasures in the ground. You come with nothing. You go back with nothing. And he says, this is a tragedy. You work so hard. It's a reminder for every single one of us that no matter what you have right now, and your name is on all sorts of things under your ownership under the sun. Some of you have great titles of ownership. It's all a rental program. Every, every bit of the thing that you own, you have it for now, and you can try to pass it off, but something's coming for your for your estate that will end you going to meet your Maker with nothing in your hands. So, as he's going to lay out the case, whatever you gain on this world, if you aren't prepared to meet the Maker of your soul with something other than things that you can present, because you can present nothing, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. All his days he he also eats in darkness, verse 17, and has much sorrow and sickness and anger. His days, this man who had all the fortune lost it as he labored for the wind. It says he also eats in darkness. And this is going to segue into one thing that Solomon will recommend everyone under the sun do. Regardless of your view of eternity, there is something you can try to do to redeem the labor of your hands. And he's pointing to it because he says, right here, this guy in the misfortune is eating alone. Eating in darkness and most of his life, which is true of our lives, filled with sorrow, sickness, and anger. I, I, some of you in retirement age, and I'm sure you're doing well, mine, mine says retirement, question mark. Because you think so often, in our view, you work really, really hard to get to a certain age where you can enjoy your wealth. And then what's awaiting for you? Sickness and sorrow. It's like you finally got to the place where you, you, you saved up. You've, you finally have enough money to buy the cabin, and you got the RV, and you've got the, the tickets to Europe booked, and you go to, to enjoy it all, and it's like you saved it all for the season of sorrow and sickness. You're too old now. No, no offense to some of you, but some of us can relate to that. It's like, I can't, I can't enjoy it. I waited too long. So Solomon's going to give an answer. He said, eating in darkness. You work so hard It's a picture of eating alone. You didn't even have time with your estate and all the people that gathered around to enjoy the increase, and you're over there working so hard that you've labored under the sun until the sun goes down, grabbing a quick meal by yourself and doing it all over again. So he says, wait a minute, pause the storyline. And before we get to the answer that goes beyond the sun, it's worth pausing our storyline." This is for everyone under the sun. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, and he gives secrets to life for anyone who wants to just think about how to enjoy. And this is what he says in verse 18. Here is what I've seen. It is actually good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life that God gives him. That's his heritage. That's what he gets on this side of the sun. He says... As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. So one of the takeaways for all of us, and this is always, at all times, a sanctuary where some are receiving with a desire to live beyond the sun, and some are here with a life that truly is limited to your 60 to 70 years. And here's something for everyone to commonly enjoy. Whatever you're working really hard to achieve, don't work so hard that you don't get to enjoy it. I think of just me as a dad, and sometimes that's just one example. It's like God has given me strength and favor to have children of my mother's or of my, my, uh, my wife's womb. They come, and, and I want to work so hard so there's food on the table. And I want to save up so we can do fun things. And then what happens? Common, just tragedy of parenting. How did 18 years go by? Wow, I better do at least like some time with my kids while I still got them. And it goes by like that and we forget to enjoy all the hard work that we're putting it towards. And it's the same for every vocation that you're in. You work so hard, and you labor with the gift of God's resources that he gives you. And uh, Solomon's saying, if nothing else, stop what you're doing, break some bread, and enjoy the moment of your life. And biblically speaking, the design of God is to do this very thing. I think we would all do well to read Ecclesiastes and make just that advice from verse 18 a measurement for the health of our families and our relationships. Are we working so hard that we eat in darkness? Or are we working hard so that we have enough time, money to buy some groceries and some good drinks and invite people over and enjoy the fruit of our labor? And the biblical design for that was one day a week. God's people were supposed to do that very thing. And of course, like anything under the sun, it can turn into a vain pursuit. It was called the Sabbath. Jesus came on the scene, and it had lost all meaning because it became a way to work for God's favor when they were supposed to be resting in God's blessing. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, you you missed the point. Uh, Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. And sometimes we read Jesus in his punk rock way kind of restoring the heart of that and think, well, then we can just Sabbath when we feel like it. But what happens? We get pulled into the tide of wealth, gain, and honor, and we have no time to actually enjoy the fruit of our labor. And so there is a healthy rhythm to say, God, I trust you so much that on this day, all the work will cease and I will enjoy this day that you have made and I will break bread and I will rejoice in your goodness. And if that is what you can do this week, it says that is a gift of God. So shout out to 4th of July, do it tomorrow. It's like celebrate the, the day that God gives you You've got money to buy food. You've got some friends to be with. That is a perfect example of saying, if nothing else, enjoy the life that God has given you by rejoicing and breaking bread. And then it comes with another, uh, wait, there's more, bonus feature to enjoying your life. Look what it says will happen for in verse 20. For he will not dwell unduly on the, all the days of his life. Because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. So read that again. If you're feasting and rejoicing and thanking God for the work that you have and taking time to enjoy it, you will not dwell unduly on the days of your life. Think about the read of Ecclesiastes. And as Solomon goes from the temple to the palace to the field and just thinks all about life, he's filling up his mind with meaninglessness. He's just overthinking everything. One of the first uh, meetings I got to have after I got back from the Congo, was with someone who had carved out enough time in his life because of the place that God has given him. He's got enough money to pay rent and only work a couple days, and he's got a lot of time to think. And in his thinking, he's wondering about how to solve the climate and how to figure out all of the politics and how to relate to Christians and how to relate to non-Christians and all good questions in their own little God-given grace. But if all you do is think about those things, you have so much time that you're thinking, solving nothing and not living. Sound familiar to the age that we live in. We have a generation of people, because of the blessings of where God has placed them in, have so much time to think about life that they spend time unduly wondering about it, and they find everything eventually to be meaninglessness. And then Solomon says, why don't you eat food, spend time with people, and stop thinking about your own life so much? And then you will find that God is good and life is worth enjoying. So one thing we can model is like, can we fill up our hearts with the joy that God gives us so we don't just think about the despondence of the world we live in (laughs) in this day and age? Verse 1 of chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. Another great tragedy. If this happens, it's like this life under the sun was a total waste a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing for himself. See, it says God gave it to him. He's got everything. And yet God doesn't give him the power to eat of it, but a foreigner comes and consumes it. This is vanity and an evil affliction. This is really the third time Solomon says something like this. One is that you have so much abundance, you can do nothing but stare at it. And then he says, you have so much wealth that it actually starts eating you alive. You can't actually enjoy it because it hurts you. And now he says, here's a tragedy. Someone has everything they could ever want, but they never move on it. They never do anything with it. It just sits for their eyes to see, and there's no one enjoying it. And eventually what will happen is they will live their whole life not enjoying the life that God has blessed them with, and someone else will come. So I thought of a very crude example for this last uh, service, but I'll say it again because uh, I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Remember that movie, classic from the 80s? Ferris was this guy who wanted to live life with joy, even if it meant skipping school. Don't do that, kids, but, you know. He, He has a best friend, and what does a best friend have? He's got a wealthy father in a giant mansion of a house, he unduly thinks about the meaninglessness of life, and he's got this fancy car that no one is allowed to drive. Why? Because if you have a if you have a vintage Ferrari, it, you can't drive it. It's like you, it's like too nice to drive. It's cherry red, low miles. It, the, the, the less you drive it, the more it's worth. So you sit back and do nothing. How many of us have those in our life? And then someone comes along, named Ferris Bueller, and he's like, Let's drive it. (laughs) Let's take it out on the road. And they take it into downtown Chicago and they park it. And literally some foreign dudes that were working the parking lot were like, we'll enjoy it for you. And they spin all around Chicago. And the the movie kind of pinnacles with Cameron who owned the vehicle like, I've ruined my life. I've spent the thing that I wasn't supposed to spend. I've used the thing that's lost its value because it got used. And how many people in our world, are building up things that they want to stare at but never use. More cars than they can drive, more houses than they can live in, more shoes than they can wear, more more clothes than they can style. And of course, all of us should hear that practically, because this is written very practically. And then I can't help but think about it just in the riches and the abundance of the spiritual gifts that God has given us. God has put you into a generation, into a time and space where you have the wealth and the knowledge of God that may be unparalleled. You have any sermon on any topic of the Bible at your fingertips. You have biblical teaching just like, here you go. You have churches on every corner you can go to. You all have more money to give and and care for that it would be abundance than you know what to do with compared to other parts of the world other times. We have more theology in our minds and our hearts than oftentimes we have obedience in our feet and our hands. And you think about the modern age, it seems so much like you get these stories in the in the Word of God and the people of, of, of God's choosing the nation of Israel. It's like Here's all the stuff for you. I'm going to bless you. The oracles of God, the principles of my kingdom, the law and the Torah. And they get so fat with all their wealth that God eventually says, You've lost your love for me. You have so much, you don't need me. And a foreigner comes in and takes over the land. And I just think of my own life. I'm like, What am I doing with all of the information that I have about Jesus? What are we doing with all of the opportunity that we have for the gospel? Now, I praise God. I'm grateful that we get to pray for missionaries and we get to go and send kids to Oaxaca and Mexico. So this is like, praise God for the ways that we obey the call and we don't just store up knowledge of God in our hearts and do nothing with it. But look around. This is the danger of our generation that we would have more wealth than we know what to do with and then we do nothing just get smarter and smarter and more theologically sound and more doctorally acute, and we do nothing with it. And so God says, I'm going to send it to somebody else who would receive it like a child of faith and, and just share it. I, when we get back from the Congo, I was so I just fell in love with Gene. I can't wait for you guys to see more of him. He's the pastor of the Congolese Fellowship, and he's just stirred in his heart, and he felt so just burdened to take all of the resources that God gave him by bringing him to Boise and giving him all of the resources of the church community and just our city and just blessing him. He's like, I get to my people, and I just want to give it all to them. I just want to share what I've been given, freely receive and freely given. And so he gets back, and I, I run up to Gene the first time I saw him. I was like, how was your first day back? He's like, awesome. I went down to the the connector, and I held up a sign that says, Jesus loves you, because I just could not help but say to anyone who would listen, I've been given the freedom of Christ and the freedom of speech, and he just stood on a sign. Maybe some of you saw him honk at him. I'm like, yeah, Jesus loves you. He's like, I just don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste what God has given me and do nothing. No, I don't know how effective that was. I don't know what that accomplished. But in my brother, I just see someone who doesn't want to sit on the treasure of the kingdom of God. And here's now the real tragedy in the way that we have to read Ecclesiastes. It's, it's kind of a challenging book to read because it's like, sometimes it's like, it's sometimes like reading a, a diet cookbook. It's like outlawing all the food that we really veg out on, you know? It's like, oh, it's... Just, but this is a hard passage. It says someone that, this man that we're describing that has everything and never uses it, it's the worst possible life that you could have. Like you can't think of a worse life. In fact, Solomon's going to try to give an example of something we would think is a severe tragedy and say it's worse than that. Verse three, if, if man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many years. So the days of his, uh, it is filled, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness or indeed he has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better than he. For the stillborn comes in vanity and departs in darkness and its name is covered with darkness. No one you know, really hears about him. He doesn't experience anything. He just comes and goes right back to God. And though it has not seen the sun or known anything, it has more rest than the man even if he lives a thousand years twice. He spends 2,000 years trying so hard to, to build wealth, never using it, never enjoying the, good, the, the goodness of, his, of, of God's gift in his life. He doesn't see goodness. Do not all go to one place. This is, again, we've said this before, the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes job is to affirm a, a fact in your life that apart from Christ, you are wasting your life. And it doesn't matter how long you live. It doesn't matter how much you gain. It doesn't matter what you're able to work and accomplish under the sun. It is, it is just like a stillborn who comes to nameless, he gets no identity in, in, in this under the life world and, and goes back to God. Same it is with you you will be nameless in the end. All the stuff that you put around yourself as your identity will be gone back into the shadows. Anything that any one of us do to gain honor and wealth apart from the perfect will of God to bring him glory to receive his love and to share it with the people he sends us to is a waste of a life. It's so hard to preach. I read it, I'm like, I just want to live it, Lord. I hope I don't have a giant plank in my eye as I share this, but we are wasting our life apart from Christ. Verse 7, all the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is never satisfied. For the more that has the wise man than the fool and the poor man have, who knows how to walk before the living. The wise and the fool under the sun will end the same. The poor and the rich, all the same. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping at the wind. He's, he's, he's trying to offer these moments of wisdom to keep our head above water. It's better to just focus on what you got than all of these desires to be great. All of those desires will be vanity as well. Verse 10, whatever one is, he has been named already. For it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man the better? This is a beginning of us, I hope, hearing this in a heart to just open our hands and say, God, who am I to wrestle with my maker? God is mightier than the one who would contend with him. And that is, in a sense, what is happening as we shift from the vow to do anything from God and then our flesh takes over and we make an excuse and we say, what about this? In a sense, what you're saying is, God, whatever your good works for me to walk in are. Whatever your plan would be, whatever the gift of the Spirit you want to put in me to give you glory is, I just want to shift it slightly and work really hard to enhance it or to do it my way over here with my own resources and my own plans and my own map for my life, which includes honor and glory under the sun. He says, you're contending with your maker. You cannot, in in the sovereignty of God, shake the destiny that he has for you. And and this is how I mean that. It's like Paul says to the Athenians that God has set in place the time of our dwelling and the boundaries of our life. So you live within a window of time that you clearly cannot shake. You know, we've got about a 100-year window right now. We probably go back to the 1930s. We'll go all the way to the 2070s. And before and after that window, this sanctuary will go back to being a vapor. You can't shake that window. This is where God placed you in the window of time that he's made you. And in the same way, the boundaries of your dwellings are going to be under God's sovereignty. There's not anything that you can do to make enough money to shake what is good for your life and the perfect will of God. He's drawing you and pulling you towards his perfect will in your life. And we wrestle with him over it. And we try so hard to get him to listen to our plan. It's like I will do missions, but it's in Hawaii, and I keep telling God, and He—it's like He's mightier than me. He won't let me do it. And you say, "Okay, I'll I'll serve God," but it's in ten years, and He's like, "He's mightier than you." We've got to stop trying to convince God, bartering with Him as we would at a market for something that is our soul. He's our Maker. He has placed us in our time, in our boundaries. And the best thing that we can do with our life, other than grasp at the wind under under the sun, is to say, okay, God, what do you want? Who am I according to who you see me as? And we'll end with two questions that, that I think Solomon rightfully asks as you think about all these things. As you wrestle with what you want to do with your life, where you want to be, what you'd like to buy and afford, and the neighborhood you'd like to live in, and the car you'd like to drive, the easy life is not as easy as you think. And it's also not as good for you as you think. Look what he says in verse 12. For who knows what is good for man in life? Who really knows if all of your striving and all of your desire to do things under the sun according to what you really think would be good, just a little bit more? Are you sure? Does the pop star who had the extreme uh, rise to fame and came crashing down do they look back and think man I'm not so sure I made the right decision with my life. The person who you know married and is like I oh, just like different marriage and are, are you sure that you know what you're doing with your life? God has placed you somewhere so unique to his purposes and the very first sin in the very beginning of the fall in the garden is to say Did God really say that? Is God holding back something from you? Is that untouchable fruit something you should look at and desire and maybe it would be good for your life? Who's to say what is good for your life? You've got to answer that question in the the depths of your heart. Who's to say what is good for your life? If you answer that God is your maker, then, then you should listen to his word. And you should listen to his word preached over your life. You should listen to the counsel that he offers you through the gift of his spirit and your brothers and sisters and say, these are the ways that I answer who is, knows what is good for my life. If you don't know the creator God that we came here to worship this morning, you got to answer the question in a different way. And you got to wrestle with your own journal and your own pipe and your own life and try to figure out what is good for your life because it's really hard to know what's around the bend of the future. And then he asks this other question. Who can tell man what will happen to him after him under the sun? And he's getting at two questions. One, you work so hard to get the stuff that you want and you can't take it with you because we all go back naked. So really good question for all of your hard work and all of your gains and all of your estate holdings. Who's to say what's going to happen to you with all the people that you leave it to? You can meet with the, you know, the lawyer that helps you plan your estate and you can, you can, you can put the trustees on the board. And you really don't know. Who, who's to say what will happen to this little tiny church building when all of our lives go back to our maker and we're like, I hope we pass the baton to someone who would preach the gospel and send people on the Great Commission. But we don't know. And who's to say what it'll look like in your family? Like, you got your favorite car, and you're like, I know I'm going to give it to this kid, and he's turned, wrecks it into a tree. You don't know. And then the more serious question. Who's to say not just what happens to your stuff under the sun, but what happens to you? What happens to your soul after the window closes, and you're no longer living only in the reality of under the sun? That is a question that you have to answer who knows what is good for your life now and who knows what will come of your life after this life ends so believers we come to church and i hope we come to enter into the presence of god so that our joy is just overflowing in him and then we come once again to all the ways like sheep we we leave the sanctuary we go like this all the time we come back to the center of god's will The center of God's will is for you to know that your days are numbered, that you would have a heart of wisdom, and to know that you will meet him. To live your life today in worship of him, rejoicing in the life that he gives you as a gift, knowing that you will meet God. Hebrews chapter 9. It has been appointed for men to die once, but after this comes judgment. Judge me, Lord. Judge me now in what I'm after. Judge me as I grasp at the wind. Judge me as I pursue you and walk prudently to your house. Judge me as I open your word. Judge me as I love my neighbor. I know there will be a day when I give an account of all the wealth that you gave me according to your good gift in my life. I can't wait to show you my receipts. Right, believers? That's what we come to be refreshed in. And for those who are not yet believers. You live under the sun. You live in this world, and you're not sure what comes after. You have come into a place we, we, we proclaim in faith that God has revealed to us the answer of your soul. You have a maker. He made you with a sovereign purpose and a plan for your life. Part of it included this morning, rejoicing. He brought you here this morning so that you would be without excuse. You were told, at least this morning, that God knows you and God loves you. God has made a plan out of your life for good works that you would walk in. God has made a way for you to receive him freely, not because of anything you've done. All of your work apart from him is grasping at the wind, but he has made a way for you to be part of his family by accepting the free gift of his salvation And he's also made you to hear that someday you actually meet him face to face. And he will say, what did you do? Remember that Sunday in July of 2022, when I sent a messenger to tell you about this day that I appointed you to meet me? What did you do? And you can say, I I got a bunch of cars. And I gained, a, I I had amazing stocks. I I have houses all across the country you place me in, and you'll have nothing in your hands to prove it. Or you can say, I believed in the finished work of your son, that he lived the life of ultimate purpose without any vanity involved. He lived life perfectly to find the one thing under the sun that would have any value, which is to do what you were designed to, what he was designed to do, love the Father perfectly and love everyone laying down his life. The second half of Hebrews chapter 9 says, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of the many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. Life under the sun ends when you receive the Son of God into your life. Now eagerly waiting for the eternity that God is preparing for each one of us who believe. Anything apart from that is grasping at the wind. Bill Gates will have a very fancy funeral And nothing to show for his life if he does not commit his heart and mind to Christ. And it is true of every single one of us. Life under the sun, even with great wealth and honor, meaningless. Our only hope is to know the Son of God who came to bring life and life more abundant. Believers, we just celebrate that. We rejoice in that. We take communion. We say, okay, God, once again, I consume the life of Christ, his body and his blood, making sense of all of my vain pursuits, forgiven so that I can live.